0: Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy.
1: Kana Albinas. Makalua.
2: The main team Mega Bears fan.
3: With guest co-hosts. Christy. And th- Obligatory background noise.
1: Obligatory background <laughs> noise.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Polycast episode 332. I am your guest for today, the Christie, and I'm joined by the usual gang of cohorts, Canis Alpinus.
1: So, nuclear plants, not so good. Makalua. <laughs> We've seen a lot of boom going on, apparently.
3: Mega Bears fan. I have
2: functioning internet today. Hooray.
3: Hooray.
2: And
4: everyone's favorite, to me and team. I'm bringing you some special tactics. Also, nuclear reactors are good.
1: Yes, they are. Uh, maybe
4: uh, we, we just need to like uh, not have any context And then that can be true Yeah, there was a theme there I feel like I was missing something
3: <laughs> I,
2: I'm sure cat- we'll figure it out
1: All right. So as everybody knows, we now have a brand new expansion pack that has been out since a week before this show was recorded. Because scheduling is fun. So what we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna start with the, those of us who have played the new expansion will tell us some of their interesting stories that have happened with some various hijinks that have been played.
3: Well, I, I don't know if I really have any hijinks. I've just kind of played, and it's been interesting. <laughs>
1: Thoughts and opinions, then I may be a
0: little bit too in love with the way the Moworis start
3: oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I really like that. I don't know why, but I just like, I can't not play them because I like starting the ocean. I like invading somebody's continent. And then, like, what happened? Because I was playing last just last night with uh, Josh and Dino, and I was like, I ended up landing right next to France, who tried to expand in my face, and then I ended up punching her in the face. The Toa are a little powerful and available pretty quick.
1: I think it's just I, a, I, a warrior replacement? No, sword. Power. Uh, but somewhere, yeah. you
3: don't you have to. It, you say available quick, but. It actually takes, like, double the amount of science to get them compared to sword rushing.
4: What do they They're come out right? again? I, I have not it yet.
3: They come with oh, construction. Yeah. So you need to get seven techs to unlock the Versus, I think it's that's, what, three or four for swords. Do they have a resource requirement? Cause that's no. That's the thing. That's, yeah, no, there's no resource. No, there's
0: no resource. I so think you can just go straight in. and you can. But their strength, and at least in the games I've played, I've been able to get them early enough and quick enough, and then I can just go right in and start punching somebody in the face. I was even playing a single-player game earlier before that, and I had the same thing where I landed. I think I ended up with India right next door to me, and... And, you know, in both games, I got attacked first. But in both games, I turned around and was like, yeah, your empire's mine now, thanks.
2: Mayori also, I think, get a pretty decent production bonus because they get, like, I think one free extra production on unimproved forest and woods tiles. So you get them out pretty quick as well. Yeah, mean you, st- you
3: still need to get a decent amount of science in order to get them out. Like, I had this argument on Reddit with someone lately. They were saying the Toa are way overpowered and need to be nerfed, and I was came back. I, I was basically saying, they take a lot longer to get out. Once they do get out, yes, they're more powerful, but they take a lot longer. You're a lot weaker in theory until then. Besides, I, I also had the argument of if you're going to nerf the Toas, you need to nerf the Varus. They're basically exactly the same. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the big thing, I guess, is it's really going to come down to what Eurekas you're getting. Because yeah. just like with so many things in, in the early parts of the game, if you're getting the Eurekas to get to that tech, it goes real quick. If you're not getting those Eurekas... It feels like it takes forever. I did look it up, and apparently, and I think
3: when it comes to getting towards construction, I think the only thing you can really eureka is, well you can't eureka construction itself because you're not getting water mills because you're not going down there. I think you can you can eureka horseback riding because you'll have pastures, but I think that's it. Yeah, but
2: there's also the potential of getting those eureka yeah, ancient get villages. From huts, so
3: yeah. yeah, you can get it from there too. Which, if you're like me and you have a heavily modded game that has like three times as many goody huts, you can eureka the entire bottom half of the tech tree within the first.
4: First era no lucky huts no <laughs>
0: Bill's favorites <laughs> I, I, it just feels like it's really quick comparatively to when I, if I tried to plant a swordsman rush it would take forever and I wouldn't have iron but because I don't have to worry about having iron and I don't even necessarily have to beeline construction to get them at a decent I mean because usually I play it either quick or online so it, it doesn't feel like it takes a long amount of time for me to get there and, and like in a lot of these cases I'm already having an AI come up and try to attack me and then but then boom, here's a toa and I'm just gonna curb stomp the rest of your sip because of it.
3: I guess it's also very reliant on actually getting the start that you need as well. Yeah. So if you if you don't if you don't find or well, I say start, but obviously if you don't find the good landing spot that has all that basically has all the growth, you're not gonna get the production bonus to get them out as quick, I suppose.
4: I can't imagine them outperforming things like Nubian archers or similar yeah. Well yeah. It's, I think archers. it's
2: hard to find anything that outperforms the Nubian archers. Yeah. <laughs> Those things are pretty
4: boss. Yeah, yeah. They come out pretty quickly as well. In, in and plus like you can still archer and sword rush on deity so it's uh I don't know we'll, yeah, we'll see right. how they do in MP but I think they're probably okay they perform better also
3: in the middle, in the, the middle phase as well they yeah. have that bit more of a bridge yeah
4: they're, they're like something between swords and knights in that regard probably but we'll see how they do overall
0: And maybe I just don't try to sword rush often enough and this is more typical than I think but it just it feels almost cheaty sometimes because when, sometimes I start with just archers and spearmen when they attack me but then the Toa comes Comes in like maybe like ten turns into it, and then I can because you've got that extra bonus to forest to forests and rainforests, so I'm getting some production I might not normally. So it doesn't take long to build them, especially if I take that one policy card that has the fifty percent off, and then I'm just turning it out and just like wipe you off. Have played
3: anyone that isn't the Maori
1: I have played. I have played many people. I have played. I play the Inca and got a grand total of six mountains in my start. That was nice. I played Eleanor as both, and I only won as France because stupid Inca won a science victory on me. Sweden, I did a Sweden game where... Um, shoot. What's his name? The guy with the feather headdress. Shaka, not Monty, Shaka. Uh. He was my best friend, and we were right next to each other, and I discovered just how much culture you can get from those... Out, outdoor museums Because I had like 10 cities and I had one in each type, so I put one down in every city, and suddenly that's a hundred culture just right off right within two turns. After that, there was no more trouble with culture. Who else did I play? I didn't play coupe, I didn't play Phoenicia, I didn't play Canada. I tried to, but then I got one tundra tile and said, Nope, this is dumb. Mansa Musa, I, I got yeah. one tundra tile, it was terrible.
4: I, I hear that happens with Mansa as Mansa well.
1: Mansa Musa got one tile of desert, so I guess I'm just the, the crappy start guru. But...
2: That probably also depends on your map size and stuff like that. You play on smaller maps, you're more likely to see those tiny uh, bits of terrain like that. I Mansa again didn't have much
3: desert near the start either, but it worked out all right. I mean, when I say much, there was some desert on, around the size, but I didn't start in the desert as much. It worked out. I was still rolling in so much money. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I have noticed that in the MP games that whenever somebody's got Monza, it's like, so hit me up with a loan for, you know, so I can do this war. And they're like, sure.
3: Thanks a little world to get started up, though. I, I, it was only after I finally got the something that was going, I was like, oh, right, this this guy has money. And then later on in the game, when I had it, as of what you might call it, city-state that used to be Carthage, plus democracy, plus Sugaba, I was buying units for free. Wow. of us of reduction.
4: <laughs> yeah, there's a couple balance issues. <laughs> In the game i haven't even played it much but i've been following in the screenshots and such while i've been away from my computer like on my phone and such so you know uh,
1: indie rock band flipping an entire sieve yeah that's that's perfectly balanced
4: yeah oh yeah you showed me that too that's pretty ridiculous so yeah, i have yet to play the game um because i'm i'm been playing in a dungeon crawlstone soup tournament and that's ending soon so i'll, I'll be taking a look at Civ six in the near future
0: will experience all of this in person
4: yeah i was gonna say you know, it
3: was funny you were giving out about your canada game not having much tundra whereas the canada game i played was pretty much all tundra god god growing in that is a nightmare
1: all you need is a volcano but even
3: with that the one that erupted like you maybe erupted a few times and it was didn't give me all that much food Although are you, the telling, thing that me, really are you
1: telling me you don't play on for disaster all the time <laughs> that one i
3: think no not i don't think i did on that one i think it was only two or three Although i've the been funny on three for most of my games The annoying thing in my Canada one was one time I got a crippling blizzard in the middle of my empire, and I suddenly had about 40 tiles pillaged and lost about 15 population as that went through, and I was like, what the hell?
2: I've never (laughs) seen a disaster affect more than, like, four or
3: five tiles. Oh, no, I had a crippling blizzard spawn basically in the middle of my empire, and then just track right through my empire.
2: Oh, right, because it
3: moved. it It practically almost killed three cities and the capital down to almost nothing and had to redo it
1: because and, as we all know canada doesn't know how to deal with blizzards
3: I know, what setting yeah, was
4: that on that you got that happening
3: i can't remember if it was three or four i don't know i'd have to check Obviously, was okay. save game at some point but i've been messing around with them i haven't gone i think one game i went down to one but that was just for a hang around game really
1: I, I don't think stuff like to to
4: that play. should happen on default or like low settings but i could it's you know if you're going to turn up the disasters because you want the disasters i guess it's fine yeah.
3: Well, well yeah. the very first game I turned, I, like, cranked it way up, And I was like, ooh, hey, <laughs> these it's volcanoes swim, are right? something. Yeah. yeah. But that that game was Pachacuti, and obviously all the volcanoes and mountains around. And suddenly it was like, oh, hey, my super yield terrace farms are even more yieldy now. Assuming, well, of course, you have to rebuild them every 10 turns when the volcano goes off. But
2: price to pay. Hey. I did like with uh, Canada that I did not have to worry about generating faith at all. Because the only thing that Canada actually needs to spend faith on is uh the rock bands because your unique unit can build national parks so you don't need to save up faith for naturalists so i just went like totally atheist like nope no faith for us and that I was mean, nice not having to even think about that i was even yeah i was more happy about
3: that for with the mounties because with Terra Mirabilis it changes the the naturalist to come with gold so it's like oh i don't have to waste my money on these guys now <laughs> buy a mounty costs so much less than a naturalist
2: Wait, you have a mod that lets you buy Naturalist with gold? Or is yeah. there some way to do that in the base game? So I don't remember no, it's a, a
3: mod. It's oh, okay. Terra... Terra Mirabilis,
2: does it? it okay, changes, uh, a gold. I was just a... thinking, I don't I don't remember there being any way to buy Naturalist with gold.
3: Yeah, no, It's. Uh, I, I play heavily. I got like 80 mods on my game. You're right. My, my sieve is nothing like vanilla save anymore.
1: <clears throat> I recently discovered the joy of modding. I just doubled the number of Natural Wonders, and that was all I needed to do.
3: Yeah, I used to use that until Terra Mirabilis <laughs> came out. It was pretty fun having them all around. And then Terra's like suddenly, okay, here, like three times natural wonders, and we're gonna double the size of the natural wonder pool as well.
1: I Probably kept don't I, need keep, to do that I kept running into natural wonders that I didn't even realize were in the game, and I can't remember if they're in Rise and Fall or Gathering Storm. I remember I was playing this game, and there were like seven natural wonders I didn't recognize.
3: Gathering well, Storm, I think, added quite a few. It added, I think, another seven or eight. But yeah, there's, there's, always, there's a few I I rarely ever see. I rarely ever see Shanxi Danya the the rainbow mountain thing
1: i've never seen I've yet, that one
3: i've yet to see that
2: masher horn i find,
3: don't find all that often i
1: find that one every time really yeah
3: oh, see there's another one that I,
2: I had, had a, every, i was playing a every, multiplayer game and the person i was playing with had uh, chocolate hills and i thought oh if you just win because you have hills made out of chocolate so and and then and then while my scout was standing right next to it he had a tornado go through the chocolate hills and i'm like oh my goodness chocolate tornadoes i don't know whether to be terrified or the happiest person alive (laughs) well you know
3: (laughs) just stand there wait for it to blast to to go right through you and just stand there as you're like bathed and Chocolate. Yeah.
2: And then the next day I bum myself out by looking up what the chocolate hills actually are. And I am sad to report that the chocolate hills in real life are not actually made out of chocolate.
1: Oh, I know. Work, I mean, I mean, just like I mean, just heartbroken.
4: Like cheese.
2: Yeah. Apparently the moon is also not made out of cheese. And I'm sorry. We had to break some hearts today. I reject oh, no. the
4: evidence of this. They've
2: been lying to
0: us all along. You mean the moon dust they brought back wasn't cheese powder? I don't think you'd want to
3: eat that. (laughs) (laughs) They tried to make it into cheese, but it didn't really
2: work. And with this revelation, I can only assume that the Rainbow Mountain is not actually made out of rainbows.
3: Well, if it was, there'd have to be lots of gold sitting there.
0: Doesn't it look rainbowish, though, because it's the kind where it's got the layers kind of like the Grand Canyon goes, except it's a mountain?
2: I don't know. I've never seen it.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm thinking I've seen it at some point in the thing, and that's what it looks like, but I could be totally...
1: Mine. <clears throat> well, me. I'm of souls of something else. sounds pretty. So I I was originally playing the game and I complained to somebody in our chat group that there were a lot of barbarians everywhere because I kept running into like four or five barb scouts on the same screen at one time. And apparently the game decided to, to take pity on me because since that game I have not seen a single barbarian on any continent I start on. And I don't. From know... what I
4: understand, it's actually bugs. People are talking about it on the forum. So, like the barbs actually do have a tendency to congregate on one continent specifically or in one area like that. And that's a consistent problem across games.
2: uh, Apparently, so do the city states. That game that I was playing as the Maori, where my friend that I was playing with had the Chocolate Hills, he kept complaining to me that there were no barbarians on his continent at all. And I, I was the Maori, and I actually started out next to an island. So, I was on this island that was in between two continents. So I was sending explorers both ways and I went the opposite direction from him and I found a continent that had, I think, seven city-states and I came across probably like six barbarian encampments in like the within the first hundred turns. It was ridiculous. Jeez. And then he's wow. over there like, where are all the barbarians? And I'm like, well, apparently they're all over here. I can definitely say I have experienced this, especially in
3: a couple of games like I was on that the bad continent, if you will, and I'd clear a barb camp and then suddenly it would practically respawn in one tile off in the fog of war on the other side of my yes. I'd be going back and forth ping-ponging them constantly.
2: That same game, I saw at least twice, I would kill an encampment and then I would move my units away and I would look over there a couple turns later and that same encampment would be right back there at the exact same place. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I've had it even worse. I've, I've killed an encampment. And the very as the turn rolls over, it respawns in the fog of war two tiles away from the unit that just killed the previous camp.
2: <laughs> they fled the one and founded the other.
3: And I have seen the same at the city states, although I always play on like a huge map, so there is always kind of a, a semi-half small continent that has five or six city states there. Although I think that's handy because it means they don't get killed by the AI. Okay, yeah, so... would kind of gum up the AI's approach to them. Um... Yeah, they've, they've turned up the AI aggression on city-states again.
2: Well, if you want the AIs to not kill all the uh, city-states, you could always just make all the AIs Canada. Please,
0: <laughs> you mean will just bully them instead?
2: <laughs> Please. When when in special cases. Please, when I'm playing normal
3: games as it is, there's a... it's bad enough that old Canada keeps playing just because Canada
0: yeah. is a game. I don't need every, oh, I don't need yeah,
2: every I... AI being Canada. I have had old Canada <laughs> stuck in my head for what two weeks now and I only know like the first line after home and native land I, I don't know any more of the song I don't even know that I just know Oh Canada
1: so we got the, uh, the hall of fame which made me very sad because all of my previous victories don't count toward the hall of fame well
2: what you need yeah. to do is you need to just save like every game the turn before you win so that when the hall of fame does get patched in you just reload them all play one turn get your Hall of Fame credit and then, you know, be good with it. So you just have to start doing that on every new Civ release ever. Yeah, oh, so wow. I'm
3: just not going to, I'll just let it do retroactive. So besides, when I'm finally done with all the new Civs, I'm sure I'm going to be playing through every old Civ anyway, especially well, with the new ones that got changed. There's also,
1: when you change the game rules, it resets everything to, oh, well, these are the victories you had in the base game. And oh, it don't... remembers that too? No, it I
2: doesn't did... remember
1: yeah. them. It, it has a list for them, but it doesn't remember the games you played before the expansion came out because right. the... Pre- but the if you, fact, functionality wasn't there.
2: But it will remember them moving forward now. So if you are changing the rules, you'll fill out the Hall of Fame on all three rule sets? Yes. They'll
3: be set. oh, well,
1: yeah, all, and set also sure. the Sorry. ones with scenarios and that stuff. Huh. Yeah.
3: Okay, that's interesting. I didn't recognize that. In order to fully super clear Civ 6, you basically have to win with every single Civ in all three rule sets. And then beat every scenario with every side that you can play as.
1: And every, and every victory type.
3: Every victory type, you don't just do it once per game rule, though.
1: That that is a a very high replay value. Replay value <laughs> or tedium value. It's only <laughs> tedious on. if you don't like a particular version of the game. Which some of the scenarios yeah, are pretty te- tedious, but the Alexander scenario is just a pain in the backside. I don't think
2: I've played a scenario yet in Civ Six. I only ever played like one or two of them in Civ Five, and one was the I think Mongolian or Hun one, uh, and I got my butt kicked. So I was like, ah, I think I'll stop playing scenarios for a while
1: the alexander one is basically the mongolian one from civ 5 except you don't tech in it like you did in in the Civ Five version, basically you start out as Macedon, and you have to k- take every city on the map within a certain number of turns. Mm.
2: I always meant to play the Civil War one in Civ Five, but I never got around to it.
1: That one was fun but hard. If you did it on Deity, I think the one the way that I won that one on Deity was I just suicide rushed uh, Richmond, and I got it on the last unit pickets recharge. So a bit of a
3: smoky segue. How have people thought about climate about climate change aspects of the game. It,
1: it, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I want to yeah. play
4: it for my before commenting but if what people are typing on the forums is accurate then it's messed up in some cases oh i would agree I've
2: with that Yeah, i've only played like one game where it was relevant and i found it pretty trivial to deal with as long as you're not a coastal sieve and have all of your cities on the coast because it, as, as far as i can tell so far the only permanent effect of the glo- of the climate change is the flooding of coastal tiles all the other things are just more disasters, which just pillage tiles, which you can trivially fix by just having some builders hanging around. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, eh, that doesn't seem fair. And another thing that I noticed is that I haven't actually tried this out, but in the future era, there is a tech called global warming mitigation, which allows you to, I guess, scrub CO2 from the atmosphere in exchange for diplomatic favor. And from what I understand, you can only use this to scrub the CO2 that you have produced. Yeah. So you can't clean other people's messes, you can only clean yours. So I'm imagining this diplomatic victory strategy now, where you pollute as much as you possibly can, and then beeline to flood barriers, so you can build the uh, flood barrier in all your coastal cities, <laughs> and then watch all the oh. other sieves flood while you scrub all the CO2 that you produced, and then use it to win the diplomatic victory. <laughs> Like effectively, effectively diplomatically winning the game by destroying the world.
3: And I'm like,
1: that sounds like a little bit of a perverse incentive. We will be talking about diplomatic victory a little bit later, but yeah, that kind of does work.
3: It's also—it's not the only way of making, dip, of making a lot of diplo favor, but yes, it is one of the ways.
1: Also, yeah, beeline just... computers because that's where you build flood barriers. Yeah. You have yes. to—you have to beeline that tech, otherwise, they get very expensive very fast.
3: I'm still trying to work out what the actual build cost mm-hmm. is. I think it's like base a hundred times the number of tiles you have to protect and i guess that multiplies by climate change phase number
4: well there's, you can there's... see where flooding will happen right yeah,
3: yeah.
1: So you
4: can also just avoid things you care about getting I flooded. when i have the
2: settler selected is there an overlay that shows it as well because i haven't nope. seen that yet there it's should only, be it's only in the settler lens and it
3: only it only really shows it for the tiles that aren't already settled there's no current lens that shows flooding capable tiles because I'm pretty Regardless sure you if can. settled or not.
2: I'm pretty sure you can highlight over a tile with the mouse, oh, yeah, or the yeah, tooltip yeah, can help tell, you, but the tool yeah, tip it, tell
3: you. But that's, that's I've, not. I've,
2: yeah, I've yet to find a lens that is like, oh, here are all the tiles that are about to flood
3: yeah it's not as at a glance i'd also speaking of this i also wouldn't mind if there was a lens that shows what tiles have been made more fertile over the course of the game yeah, yeah you'd think that old. stuff would have been in the game yeah because i go around and i'm like oh hey st- this stuff for you know flood happens okay it made six tiles more fertile grand but if i'm not Specifically hovering over the area of the map where the flood happens, I don't see what gets made more fertile, and I have to go peering in to look at it. Us. Well,
2: usually, well, there is a distinct graphics, so you, yeah, there is. See it. It's just if if there's an improvement over it and the improvement's not pillaged, it is really hard to see flooding in particular.
1: They have a the little pop up thing that shows up whenever some the yield changes, but if you've got any kind of window open, like a tech, yeah. you can't see it because it just goes yeah, underneath you can't it.
2: See it,
3: or your camera control gets sent to a unit on the other side of the map, and you don't see it either.
2: Yeah, there's also the little notification thing that you can click on, but I think that goes away after you hit end turn so it doesn't stick around until no, the. Yeah. It, it would be nice if if at the very least if that notification just stayed there until the event was over and the, the fertilized tiles stopped being fertilized so you could always just click on it to go back to where it happened
1: problem with that is we have seen how well they are able to control exactly what stays where on the screen when it comes to notifications like that so even though your certain things will stay there for the rest of the game like you missed a wonder type things you will think You want disappear instantly, just like ah. But with regard to global warming, I'm also very amused by just how you basically go from oh look, there's a little bit of potential for coastal flooding. Ten turns later, three meters of of ocean rise have completed, and now all those tiles are gone.
2: Yeah, it
3: rank it cranks up way too quickly in my eyes. Especially if you have more than one save that actually gets to like start industrializing. If you have if more than one AI industrializes at the same time, like. Pretty much the the ice caps just melt almost instantaneously.
1: Yeah, that's the other reason why you have to be able to get to flood barriers early because if you start trying to build them when coastal flooding starts, you're never going to get them done because before you get done with them, they're going to like double in cost because they're covering a bigger area now. And then before even that gets done, they're going to be covering an even bigger area. And at that point, there's no point in even building them because everything's already gone.
2: Yeah, I, I think I remember a point where I was like a couple turns away from building a flood barrier and then like i checked on the city and all of a sudden it was like oh 15 turns to complete so like the cost seemed to go up while i was
4: in the middle of building it yeah yeah one thing that did bother me about this is that someone was posting how they had built no factories or like one factory i think it was no literally no factories though and they only had five military units or six military units, then they technically led the world in CO2 emissions and that was causing global warming. That that shouldn't happen. I think even on the higher settings, if there's no industrialization at all in the world, then there should probably be a little more lax on there. Basically, every...
3: Now, I don't know the exact raw numbers, but I think that every unit of coal spent, whether that's to fuel a unit to build a railroad or to fuel to make power, is three CO2.
2: Does that include the coal that's spent per turn on the main Maintenance for certain yes. units because I think it like an ironclad is one per turn, right?
3: Yes, ironclad is one per turn, and it'll <laughs> basically make three CO2 per turn as it's burning the coal.
2: And that's whether you're using the ironclad for anything or not.
3: Yep, it's just by existing. I just think it's got to it scale. Like, and then obviously once you get into the uh, the modern atomic and everything starts to use oil, then you're burning oil into the atmosphere. I, it it's got to scale. Wonder,
4: like, it has to matter whether like you're building like. Fifty units and ten factories versus ten units and no factories. There should be a huge difference between those. It almost makes me think that maybe they
2: need something where you decommission units for like a temporary period of time, so that they're not consuming the resources or producing CO2. So like you just say, oh, this ironclad is decommissioned and it's just parked in a harbor or something like that. So it's not burning coal, it's not emitting fossil uh, greenhouse gases. Just because if you if you have it and you're not using it, like that
4: just sucks. Problematic yes.
1: modern ship burn oil even when they're not commissioned. Like in the U.S. Navy at least they have to fight rust by running electricity across the hulls of the ship to keep it from oxidizing. And that requires fuel.
2: But does it require as much fuel as if the ship were like out on active duty? Probably not. I don't <laughs> know I would sure. imagine it
4: would be comparatively negligible between those two.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. I mean, maybe some trace amounts of energy are required to maintain the ship, but like not enough on the scale of Civ to warrant costing a whole resource and producing all the
1: CO2. I would argue that three guys with guns shouldn't cost oil. But you know, well, uh, the abstraction yeah. of the game is a little bit strange sometimes. I could maybe
2: understand the up a small upfront cost because like maybe you're making a bunch of plastic or something like that you know, which maybe in the abstract way that Civ works requires oil. I don't want to go uh, in a battle
1: with a plastic gun. Well, but there's, there's
2: <laughs> well, plastics, plastics it, and rubber. 16.
0: Think of it as an abstraction of the gear it takes to equip those guys and the production cost of that. Yeah.
2: I'm just being the part, um, yeah. Yeah, but not maintenance. Five oil up front. Or, and that's another thing that uh, about the game too is I don't like that every unit costs the same amount of resources. Like for instance, I really wish that the knight had been like split. I think the default is 20 iron. I oh, wish iron. that the knight for example was split 10 horses 10 iron
3: yeah i really yeah i hope they do change that at some point to make uh, stuff take up multiple things because then you can have your tanks right now they change tanks and modern armor to only require oil where whereas modern armor used to require aluminum right so, and
2: i i would like for modern units to also require iron because you know iron goes into steel so i could yeah. see like a tank being like 12 oil and four iron and four coal or something like that you know because you're using the iron and coal to make the steel that gets a
3: little
1: complicated though.
2: A little bit. Yeah, but I mean
3: when you think about how the uh, the resources are used over the course of the game, obviously you start with iron and horses to kind of kit out your units, then nitre comes into the play. But then when you get coal, iron at least has a bit of a secondary use with iron and coal to make railroads. Horses kind of just stop being useful later
2: yeah, on. It, and it, even nitre no. somewhat. Right, it would be nice if all of the resources are useful for all of the game after you reveal them. Like, even if they're not going towards the military, if you're using them domestically. Maybe, for example, the entertainment complexes could have like a horse track thing that uses horses and provides amenity
1: where do the it would be like uh the, the kentucky derby wonder yeah,
2: something like that, or something like that but it, it, i would just really like to see the older resources continue to be useful later in the game it, at least in trace amounts you know again i'm not expecting a tank to need 20 iron
4: you know and that should, or yeah
2: a tank should not require a horse <laughs> the horses
1: are <laughs> running on the treadmill inside the tank <laughs> Yes,
4: <laughs> armored horses way to go
1: at least they're not armored bears. It's
2: true. It's the new Russian unique unit.
1: Well, it's the the empire the empire and Golden Compass or whatever that movie was. Yeah, yeah.
2: like I I understood in Civ Five where every unit cost one copy of a resource that you didn't want to split the resources now. But now that a single unit costs twenty resources, I figured yeah you could probably split it up amongst different resources where it makes sense, and that would also kind of be beneficial because if you don't have a lot of all the resources, you can still just spend a little bit of each one. I mean maybe they could have. Even even... even had different variants of some of the resource using units that like maybe have slightly different combat strengths but use slightly more or less of a specific resource i mean now we are that is getting really complicated but it it would be kind of nice to have different options for what's available to you and what you want to spend those resources on than just yeah all right 20 iron to build a knight even though he's on horseback?
3: Well, I think that's, I think they would argue that's kind of why they they brought in stuff like the Courser and the Carassier so that you actually had light and heavy calves that had a different resource at the same time, because coursers only require horses, whereas the uh, the knights require iron.
4: Well, the and just cav- to have some units you can upgrade to between, yeah. like, early and modern era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's also, but it's also the same cavalry or horses, whereas
3: carassiers are knights. Are-
2: right, but you also have the swordsman that uses the iron, so like I could see there being a split, so you've got the, the light cav that requires 20 horses, you've got the melee that requires 20 iron, and you've got the knight in between that requires 10 of each.
3: Requires 10 of each, and then if all else fails, you have the anti cav which doesn't require anything it's just weak
2: i was also surprised to see that catapults did not require a, a resource but their upgrades do and catapults suck so just, yeah was, catapults was, do
3: suck. just even in civ 5 when they originally made catapults require iron it was like really
2: but again in civ 5 every unit required the, the same one copy of a resource like they could have made it so that a catapult is like five iron or something like that a so strange
4: choice though to make yeah, catap- oh. cost anything in set five. I mean, secondly, when you think about it, it's just a wood construction. Yeah, yeah they were usually really built smart. like on site. Well, the ones actually used in siege anyway. Yeah, it,
0: yeah, I've, it, it I've, I've actually it wasn't something you were building elsewhere and hauling across the field. I mean, when you get to later stuff like the trebuchets, that kind of had to be constructed elsewhere. But the catapult was just whatever wood we could get on. Here's some rope to bind it. Go. Where does I iron mean, come into usually that?
4: built on site I, too. Wow, well, yeah, but I, little I think tre- trebuchets
3: were like packed up and moved on yeah. and set up there. But they'd already like pre. In a Depends
4: on the size of it too, because like the massive, I was thinking more of the massive ones, but yeah, I guess the smaller ones you could move around. But.
1: Well, what they would usually do, I think, is they would like get all the fittings and put them into the wood on site. The wood would usually be sourced on site, and they'd build it from that with parts they already had. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, fair I've, enough.
2: I've actually advocated in the past that maybe military engineers should be available early and the military engineer should spend a
4: charge to build the catapult on site rather than it being a, a regular unit that would be interesting Mm -hmm. we certainly give them some use (laughs) they don't see a lot of right now they see a little bit
2: more now that you need to board railroads but yeah well that's pretty late in the game but i think they also build tunnels right
3: yeah they build they build them in
2: can the regular Builder, build
1: tunnels? only nope, just, the, the just the
3: Inca. And by technically, the, way, the Chapak Nan and tunnels are actually separate
4: improvements.
1: By the way, you can sail boats through those. <laughs> that <laughs> was a great
4: that. screenshot. I love it. That is pretty amazing. I'm, I also a, battleship.
1: Saw the, I'm a battleship. I'm going to sail under the mountain range.
2: I also saw a screenshot of somebody who had used the Panama Canal and two cities to build something like it was a... One, two, three, four, five, seven. A seven-tile long canal. Yeah. It's an
1: achievement. That's an achievement. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. You can also make it even longer if if you use lakes. And apparently tunnels. Just
0: the mental image that the forums had of a bunch of Incan guys putting the butt on their shoulders and going, hoop up, hoop all the way down the tunnel.
3: I, I once had an instance like that where it was actually, someone was using my tunnel, but I had a super long mountain range. It was like almost half the map. Someone, an AI used my tunnel to fight someone else. And I had to sit there for the entire animation it was like people walking from the start of the tunnel on one side of the map to the other side of the map to attack a Eunice that was on the other side of the tunnel and then walk all the way back. Oh. That took <laughs> forever. Bad enough when I'm waiting for my GDRs to walk 36 tiles because they have nine movement on a railroad and i'm like jesus christ would you ever get there already please you're (laughs) doing robots you can run
1: the audio gang awards finalists have been announced and the gang is the game audio network guild which, doing some research into this, I'm not sure what they are or if they're even worth mentioning, but it seems like they're trying to be like the video game version of the Oscar, Grammys. of the Grammys or whatever. And this year, the Cree song for the Atomic Era, The Pounds of Drummaker, Maker, the, the Drums of Poundmaker. <laughs> <laughs> That's going yeah. in the first
2: episode title. It's <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> was nominated for Best Original Choral Composition for this year, for last year, oh. which I have listened to that song recently, and it is a gorgeous song.
2: I really do like the, the Cree music for all the eras. It's really good. It was one of my favorites. That and surprisingly enough, uh, Scotland was one of my favorites in uh, Rise and Fall as well, even though I was really surprised to actually enjoy a bagpipe song.
1: Bagpipes are awesome, though. You, you, apparently,
3: say that, you say that apparently they you guys be. are over on that side of the Atlantic. Over yeah. here, it's just annoying.
1: I was going
0: to say, yeah, somebody here might have an opinion about that, because probably he gets to hear them all the time, he's like, oh my gosh.
3: Uh, every blooming year, they're in the rugby.
0: <laughs> they come over to visit, and you're like, oh no, not these guys again.
2: Mm-hmm. But yes, the, uh, the Cree... Uh, music tracks are very good
1: i would say that the music tracks for every civilization are really good i can't think of one that i really don't like oh yeah i can't think of
2: any that i dislike but the the cree is definitely one of the ones that that stand out to me that and the canada now because i've had that stuck in my head for two weeks
3: (laughs) i was about to cough and say oh canada yeah i know right yeah and i was like
1: oh god i mean we've got we've got mongolian throat singers too I
3: suppose the thing for me is, this, dude, I haven't really listened to the music as music as it is, because it's, it's always just background music in the game to me. Like, I know it changes, obviously, with the areas and based on who you've met and who you're fighting and all that, but to me, it just kind of is like music.
2: You no, know? I, I always appreciate it. I, I do listen to it and uh I, I get excited when I see certain when I meet certain leaders in the game because 'cause I'm like, yes, I'm gonna get to hear their music.
0: But if you go to some that has great music and then see so you start meeting everybody else, you're like, Shut up, I wanna listen to my music.
2: Yeah. Case of yeah, the always hearing Canada. Go away, you <laughs> bring back Victoria so I can listen to Scarborough Affair some more. <laughs>
0: Well, then also, there were changes not documented or obvious in patch notes. It's like, I don't know if it was actually in the patch notes, but nobody told me before the expansion we were going to have cues. I get cues really? back. Really?
4: You didn't? You didn't uh, yeah, I it did turned it up in some of the, the streams. streams at least. Then yeah. I, yeah, I do not I don't actually watch the streams, but.
0: Yeah, but I don't think at any point was it a bullet point thing for us during talking about what was coming up. And so when I was, we, we played that first game on the Thursday night when the game had launched, and it's like, Wait, that's a queue. <laughs> it was a nice surprise. One,
1: but yeah. it, it is
0: a queue. It, it it's works. In
1: the, it's in the patch notes, yeah. too.
0: Ah, uh, okay. It is in the patch notes.
1: My it, bad. It's the
4: documented change.
2: It's not quite as bad as Civ Five's queue, where if you wanted to move things around, you had to click up and down arrows for, like, each individual one. Because at least in this one, you can drag and drop items once they're in the queue. But it's still not quite as smooth as Civ 4s queue
4: was. Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah it's unfortunate how like <laughs> they can't even come close to what they once did with this stuff
1: well i i don't know if we talked about this on the show or not but somebody suggested that the reason is because they have to make it usable by touch users yeah yeah uh, oh. so they have Touching, to be yep. they have to, they have, to they have to be buttons big enough that you can touch it with your finger so. the Especially workaround for that though is
4: to, to still have hotkeys for it like you can not force the use of hotkeys but you could just have the hotkeys be available still i would have also thought that a simple
2: drag and drop interface would have been like even easier for a touch screen in principle because yeah I my favorite know. thing about the civ 4 queue was you could not only drag and drop things around within the queue but you could just if i remember correctly you could just drag items from the build list into the queue
4: oh i never did it that way i always just used shift control and alt click
2: Now, if I remember correctly, you could drag an item from the build list into a specific spot on the queue. I could be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure you could do that.
4: Yeah, I don't remember that, but you might be right. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't utilize it.
2: And it was helpful, so like if you unlocked something new, you know, like you unlocked a new builder or a new unit, and you're like, all right, well I want to finish the thing I'm building now, and then I want to build this thing next, but I've already got two more or three more things in the queue, you just drag it to second in the list, and voila.
1: They fixed the seed return city's weirdness. Whenever you yeah, make peace, you have to do one or the other, and there's no option to not do it.
3: Yeah, by default, in the peace deal, it will automatically have seed for the stuff you're occupying. You either have to either keep it or you forcibly give it back to them by taking it to your side and automatically puts it on the other side. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So it definitely confirms that. Although it's, I have found a bit of a new a nuisance when it comes to taking cities. Is that again something that was undocumented? Loyalty of occupied cities is reduced based on the grievances you have with that person. And if you eliminate a sieve, you, you the cities of that sieve have a permanent loyalty reduction because. Your grievances with that sieve never decay. Oh, that oh. sounds bugged. That, that yeah. doesn't sound right.
0: Oh no, I do not like that.
3: Yeah, I have. I've had conquer capitals that have had a permanent minus ten loyalty from grievances with city owners, even though they're dead.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: that's...
4: <laughs> okay.
0: I call all shenanigans on that one. That's that not ideal. Be a
3: thing. No. Yeah, that's probably a bug rather than undocumented. But was, I think it was also undocumented in that there was never, there was always a loyalty hit for an occup being an occupied city, but it was never scaled based on the grievances or at least now it's scaled based on grievances rather than just being a, f- a set amount
1: there's apparently a bug in getting all the governor's era score because since there's an eighth governor nobody but ottomans can get it huh.
3: I didn't, oh, that's I didn't actually notice that, but even though I didn't have gotten... In fact, the game I literally just finished early this morning I ended up with all governors and all promotions because I had so much culture. And you're right, I didn't actually get that era boost. Not that, I, not that I needed it, but yeah.
1: And it looks like the the lake wonder, national wonders, may behave like lakes now.
2: I thought they always did. Yeah, I, I thought those were working as of Rise and Fall.
3: Yeah, I always had... Yeah, as of Rise and Fall, I've always had crater lakes get affected by huey or at least by the the harbor buildings i've always had it with dead sea lake, lake I, I think
1: and dead was... sea are no longer considered sources of fresh water well that was yeah, I, I
2: think that was the issue was that you couldn't <laughs> put, like aqueducts to them or whatever
1: well with the dead sea it <laughs> kind of makes safe. sense yeah. yeah in that case it does yeah you wouldn't want to drink anything out of that yeah. a big thing that i always
3: found out Lately, or I only found out while trying it, uh, inquisitors were nerfed to be the same as proselytizer apostles. They only take at seventy-five percent. However, Philip apparently gets his uh, uh are still a hundred percent effect, which is interesting though, because I've I've gone around to be like someone next thing Invert or you know puts a, a translator apostle into my city that I just founded. I'm like, right, send an inquisitor, and I use it, and like. Why is the religion still there?
2: Yeah, I don't remember the last time that I'd used an Inquisitor because like when I tried using them last time I did not find them particularly effective. I mean and so I just stopped using them.
3: I mean I still use them as they're handy as an emergency, you know, defense against a religious push.
2: Yeah, I just haven't felt that I needed to do that since they made it so that you could your military units could kill. Religious units, so you can always just fall back on the declare war and what is it condemn or, yeah, all their units, and that basically wipes their religion out of your empire because it gives negative pressure or whatever negative in all the nearby 25. cities. So since then, I just have not found inquisitors to be worth creating. I would rather just create more missionaries and apostles, but that could just be me.
1: Have there battering was- rams always worked with triremes?
2: What is the text of a battering ram? Adjacent melee units. I think yeah, it just says
3: melee units. So. Then technically yes, because galleys and the like are naval melee. I presume it also works with like anti-cab units so basically it would be the same as oligarchs.
2: In the game's defense triremes were predominantly used to ram things and then board them. So ramming the harbor and then boarding it <laughs> if you put a battering ram on the trireme it, it would work, right? <laughs> yeah, sure.
3: <laughs> Apparently they also buffed a crap ton of they also buffed all of the other unique city state improvements, I guess, because all the new ones were like looking way too powerful in comparison.
2: Well so many of them were even just weak beforehand. Yeah, like two faith or something or two culture. I'm like, eh.
3: They were kind of crap, but now Alcazar gets science equal to Hmm. the it's That's equal to part of the appeal. Colossal heads, I think, are worse, more tourism leisure. Monasteries now give housing, stuff like that.
4: They really needed that. Like, a lot of the stuff was not even worth building. So, like, they should at least be worth building. I could have seen the Alcazar also providing housing. I'm not sure if it does now or not. I I don't know. I haven't really looked at them all
3: that much because I I don't build very many of them myself. The only times I really only ever build a unique city-state improvement is if I have a Petra City that has lots of flat desert.
2: I think I've built the Cahokia mounds a couple times. Oh, yeah. I've
3: done that as well. Yeah. They're they're interesting, wasn't it?
2: gold I've seen those well, in real life. yeah i don't remember exactly what they did i just remember building them and being like oh that's pretty nice
1: stone quarries now give production bonus adjacency bonus to industrial zone
2: did they, they not always? before?
1: They didn't. I thought it was all mines. They didn't in vanilla at least. I don't know if no, they did. I don't know if they did in rise and fall, but I know they didn't in vanilla.
2: I thought it was always that the industrial hub got adjacency bonuses from mines and quarries. Yeah, all mines
3: and quarries, I think. Anyway.
2: Yeah. I, I personally think it should also give you adjacency bonus for strategic resources,
3: technically because every strategic resource apart from horses is mined. So Well, wow. yeah, apart but
2: I feel like it should get a bonus from being next to horses too since they have military application. Probably but that might be too complicated to make it one resource and not just all improvements
3: so one of three's bonuses changed based on uh, it used to be slightly different based on how the food was added but apparently that's been changed as well oh what's the change i don't remember what it used to be but apparently now it's based on the food in the sending or in destination city as opposed to the origin city whereas it used to be on the origin city only. It was like bonus food based on pastures or bonus resources
2: or something. I think that one's changed a couple times. I think that one was patched sometime after Rise and Fall came out as well. So I, I guess they're patching it again. Or at the very least, they've changed the description. Because I remember I think when Rise and Fall first came out, the description was like not correct, not accurate. One other frustration that I've had with the build queue is that when you put districts in the queue, they don't immediately get plopped. So I'm not sure if it locks in their production cost. When you do that, I'm assuming it doesn't. So something that I've been doing just out of habit is if I'm going to be placing multiple districts... I place them all one at a time and then, you know, just so they get plopped to lock in their production cost and then I put them back in the queue. I haven't
3: tried it. The only thing I've noticed with the queue is that you, you can't queue up all three tiers of buildings in a single district.
2: Yeah, Maybe. I wish you could do that as well. If you had the prerequisite in the queue, you should be able to queue up the, the yeah, next.
0: If, if I'm building the holy site, why can't I go ahead and queue up the shrine and the temple if I've got the tech?
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. someone else also said apparently you can now build wood, you can now plant woods next to lakes again. I haven't tried it though. So I don't know if that's accurate.
2: I didn't you used... know you couldn't before.
3: You couldn't. Yeah, you you could never. Any tile that was next to a lake, you could not plant woods on. If woods were there and you chopped them, you could not put them back. I noticed it every time. I was like saying, "Oh, hey, that's a lake. That's you know, one of those lake wonders. I can turn them into a national park. Let's plant some woods for appeal." And I can't. I assume
2: that was a bug. I can't imagine that was by design.
3: I don't know. It was it was odd. I don't know if there's any other undocumented changes I haven't seen. Oh yeah, Big Ben was nerfed down to 50%
4: gold instead of double your gold. I thought that was documented. Was it documented? Okay. Sorry for me to remember exactly what it was. But yeah, that's true. You do not get as much money from it now. Still worth saving up and just (laughs) getting a crap ton of money like that, but still. If score
2: victory is turned off, you cannot see a list of scores.
3: Interesting. Uh I I guess it's just if you turn off score victory, it means they disabled that tab. I suppose in the victory screen, which
2: Yeah, or it just doesn't even bother counting score. I think it would yeah. have to though for the to give you your ranking at the end, right? Yeah. yeah. So it must still calculate kind of, yeah, I guess it's just that tab just disappears. Yeah. So, so I guess were... if you turn
3: off science victory it just turns, it just disables that science tab. Yeah.
2: You can't research anything because there's no victory for it. <laughs> oh <dear. laughs> we don't need this. Yeah, you don't need science at all. We aren't even gonna give you the beakers because you don't need it.
0: I'm not <laughs> playing a science game.
4: No. Yeah, you don't well... need that. I, the game would be winnable because you could just kill people with warriors, I guess. They wouldn't be able to build walls.
2: <laughs> so anyway, I, I guess if, if you were using the, the score tracker to you know keep track of like relative performance, then I guess you can't do that anymore if score victories turned off. Comparing
3: yourself on score is always a bit eh, anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you shouldn't be doing that. But if you were doing
4: it, you can't do it anymore. Well, Part of the problem is that score is poorly allocated. In other words, it's not reflective of your present uh, strength. It doesn't have to be true, but it's been true in Civ for ages. I almost feel like the era score is a better score tracker than the actual score. Even that's questionable, though, because you have yeah. like, peaks and valleys in that regard, and you get a massive empires with relatively weak era scores for the moment. Especially those are the
3: case that you can far too easily take all your era score and get it too early, and then you have nothing you can really get in the later years if it goes that. Yeah. Like, I've had a swear I could be at, like, 500 era score at the end of the modern, then into atomic era, and suddenly I'm like, I can't get any more era score i've extracted all the the artifacts and shipwrecks i've built all the buildings i've fully built all the districts and all that suddenly i have no way to gain era score
4: yeah that's lame if you're already like strong you've already invested the resources but you just can't get credit you've already done at all
2: yeah i've had plenty of game where i'm like 20 points over getting a golden age and i'm like oh, i really wish there was some extra benefit for overflow
3: but
0: (laughs) eh. can't i bank this overflow dang it
3: I've had yeah. enough games where it basically stopped my scouting units for a few turns of be don't don't explore anymore. Do not circumnavigate the world until the era ticks over.
2: Yeah, right. exactly. Yep. Or, or oh, I'm two turns from a wonder, but I'm three turns from the next era. So oh, if somebody gets this from me, I'm gonna be real pissed. Oh yeah, and the one final
3: undocumented change is that that I noticed is that they've, uh, apparently they improved the UI for boats, because, and I've seen this myself, your your units will actually sail through other naval units and embark units, rather than constantly trying to sail around them. Oh, nice. I had that in the previous game, yeah, where I just, I have a ship in front, I could see an embark unit, so I just can't see the tile behind, and in previous games, I clicked to go around, to go you know through that unit, and my ship would actually go around, and waste extra movement. Now it just tries to go through.
2: Speaking of that, I think I've actually seen, I don't know if this is a bug, or if it's a new feature but i've seen a couple instances where i would try to move like a scout or something into the fog of war but there's like a unit or something there so my scout can't back so you you get teleported back to where you started instead of just stopping on the last tile before you move into that tile which in previous versions actually did allow you to overlap other units in some cases but now they just send you back to where you started but, yeah. and but they don't refund you your movement points no, no, either, it, so yeah,
3: it's, no, it it's really
2: inconvenient. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a bug or by Bad. design. I
3: can understand it being by design, but you, it, probably it should be it should refund the movement. Segment. Yeah, okay. I, I you
2: can't move
3: here. You're going to have I, to go somewhere else, sort of thing.
2: Right. I feel like this teleporting you back is by design, but I'm not sure if the taking away your movement points is the way they intend for it to work because i I could definitely see them being like oh well we we have the one unit per tile rule we don't want to break that because of the fog of war so we move you back but yeah they should definitely give you your movement back or at least give you one point of movement back or something to move somewhere else because i I can definitely see you still have the situation where well now you've uncovered a part of the map that you should not have been able to uncover but it really does suck especially for like if you're i'm 'Cause the, I think the the first time it happened to me, I was trying to run my scout away from a barbarian. Like yeah. through a bunch of city state units, and my scout just got teleported back and killed by the barbarians. And I was like, Well, that blew.
1: Well at least they don't yeah. just attack anything in the fog of war like they did in Civ Five.
3: <laughs> uh, I remember losing too many scouts to that, just running accidentally running them into a
4: barb camp and I'm like, you could have stopped and told me. Yeah, that's some really crappy UI stuff. I'm <laughs> glad that they did some stuff to help the UI, but Matt, it's still really bad.
1: Speaking oh, right. of awkward segues, speaking
3: of awkward segues in regards to diplomacy, <laughs> but it, it's another thread on Symphonatics where people are complaining about the, the diplomatic victory that has come in with Gathering Storm, and um, mostly it's a case of, and what I've noticed in that, when you're coming close to a diplomatic victory, the AI dog piles you in the World Congress to stop you. And Even I've actually had that with myself. other victories. Oh yeah, they jump on like for example this in this particular thread one that's posted thread. by in this particular thread by i'm not even gonna try to pronounce that op name but it was a world congress result where he basically put every single point of diplomatic favor in that he could to win which was worth 49 votes and all the other ais combined to counter him with negative 78 votes
2: <laughs> wow. I mean, I guess if you're on who wins the game, like this should be expected. I, they, you
0: would expect the AI in this case to act in self-defense and go, oh, hell no. It's I
2: feel voice. like my favorite version of the diplomatic victory so far was in, I want to say Civ Five: Gods and Kings, where you were not allowed to vote for yourself. So the diplomatic victory was building friendships and alliances with the other civs so that they would vote for you. Was not that, though, a case of you couldn't vote for yourself, but
4: all your city states still voted for you?
0: Yeah, yeah. Had everybody except one guy who has one city, and then be friends with all the city states. a like diplomatic victory.
4: And that's sense, sure sure it was genuine, there. though, because it was a genuine economic victory.
2: Well, in, in the yeah, in Civ Five vanilla, it was an economic victory. But I think in in Gods and Kings, it was more about building coalitions and getting the other AIs to like you enough to vote for you. It did help. In that sense,
3: and obviously there were things you could do that would almost make them pledge their vote to you, such as you know. Yeah, I think
2: I'm you could bribe them and
3: stuff like yeah. that, or bribe them, for example. But I still think it was mostly a you couldn't vote for yourself, but the civ that your city state still voted for you, so you could still technically win it economically. As far as I know, the only true, pure diplomatic voting was in the Renaissance scenario in Gods and Kings, because you had to vote for someone else, and there were no city states to affect it. I don't believe anyway. So... But yes, I have, I have had to have this happen myself. I was in my Mali game and it was coming up to the case where it was like the last World Congress. I think I was on seven points at the time. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll throw a few votes in. Like, I wasn't actually really trying because there were other ways of winning. So I just threw, yeah, sure, I'll just like throw 11 votes for myself. And then I turn around and the AI all band together and put negative 50 votes to make me lose a point and i'm like well then well the, yeah. the trick
1: now, the trick is that after they've done that they now don't favor. have the favor to do it again
3: yeah i did notice that and i was like it didn't matter to me at that point i could have easily gotten the two points next time because i still had my like nine ten thousand and they had
2: nothing yeah i think you get most if not all of your diplomatic favor back if what you voted on fails to pass. You get it all back, yes. Is it all yeah. of it?
3: Okay. If you vote on the the resolution that is rejected, you get everything back. If you vote on the resolution that passes but not your targets, you get 50% back. Oh, okay. Otherwise, if it's your if it's your correct outcome and correct targets, you basically you spent all that favor
2: now i'm i'm personally of the opinion that diplomatic victories will never really work well until multiple civs can actually win the game together in some kind of joint or cooperative victory yes because because then you actually do have the other civs best interests at heart when you're voting for them so until that happens to me diplomatic victory is always just kind of going to be a weird crapshoot kind of thing it's also
3: base of interest because obviously when they were going on a diplomatic victory they were it kind of made you think ah oh, sure you'll you get a couple of points you know sprinkled around the game and then world congress gets you most of them but no you actually really don't all they get that many outside of world congress you can get four outside of world congress
2: i feel like all the victories in civ 6 are way too backloaded and there's not enough that you can do early in the game to really contribute to it other than just you know researching text and civics
1: and yeah. killing everyone yeah
3: Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, the, the only way you can get diplomatic victory points early game is by aid requests, which requires someone else to push it. I mean, that makes sense, but there's no other, there's nothing else you can get in the World Congress to to win a diplomatic victory point other than the actual like direct vote itself.
2: Yeah, I was expecting like every emergency to offer like a diplomatic victory point to somebody.
3: Yeah. Well, especially things like military and uh, city-state emergencies. Right. Whereas they, they just give you a bunch of favor, which in theory can be spent to earn points, but I was expecting they'd give you a
2: point. Right, but only if you save it up for the next 3,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's especially confusing
3: because all the other types of emergencies, that they still act as score competitions, and there's still ways of gaining score, but it's still a case of either everyone wins or the target wins. There's no, there's no point... For them tracking score if they're not going to award the diplomatic victory point to the highest contributor for example
2: or some other reward
3: yeah like i won a religious emergency not too long ago because someone converted randomly i wandered in with a couple of apostles converted the city away but didn't have the highest score because the target had a random guru sitting in the target city for the entire period and garnered more score than my reconverting it away for however long but we still got the same rewards. Like there was no extra, there was no extra diplomatic victory point and all that. It was just a bit naff, shall we
2: say? I do feel like the original poster on this thread, though, is overreacting a little bit because, as we mentioned, you're going to get all of those diplomatic favor back, so you're just going to be able to vote on it next time. Yeah.
1: yeah. also it's I like think, the think first so. time ever that somebody has complained that the AI has actually tried to not let you win yeah I know right I should try for
4: all the victories not just this one but it, it, there's nothing wrong with it trying
3: he is accurate though in, that in late game world congress it takes a while before world congress to come around I thought they said it was supposed to speed up over the course of the game I have not seen that it's been 30 turns regardless for me. I
1: don't think it's supposed to speed up. I think that was Civ Five.
3: Well, Civ, yeah, no, I think Civ Five, yeah. But I thought they said it was going to do us in this as well. But I do agree that it does need to. The pace of World Congress needs to ramp up over the course of the game, even if that means there's like multiple uh, sets of resolutions that are in effect at the same time. But yeah, yeah, it does need to. It does need to happen more often. Like it should be like every twenty or fifteen turns when you get into modern or atomic.
2: And it would be nice if there were more votes sprinkled throughout the game.
3: Yeah, more ways. So, to get it.
2: so some of your very early game coalition building could actually translate into a couple diplomatic victory points.
3: Yeah, because right, right now the only getting it from an eight victory is basically send a couple hundred goals to the target and you win. Whereas the only other ways are Statue of Liberty, well, one person, and then your two future era or your future era tech and future era civic, which technically means you can just sit there on you know get enough votes, win the the world congress votes when you have six points. Get to eight and then rush those two. If rush those uh, civics and
2: tech, and you win. Clearly, You're what miss. the game needs, though, is an apostolic palace. Yes. And it's
4: working exactly like it worked in Civ 4.
1: No. Yeah. <laughs> I vote against. I, I vote win. nay. Never defy resolution. Defy
4: resolution. My religion. Just one. Get right.
1: Never defy resolution. <laughs>
4: if only you could. <laughs> it would have been nice if you could do that in Civ 4 and it just put you at war with the entire world. If you identify (laughs) to the religious
1: sector. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I don't know. That kind of make, that kind of sounds just like a military emergency in Civ Six,
1: where everyone would have been awesome. Securities. The world considers you a villain minus fifty.
2: Oh, that's true. Your
4: cities probably wouldn't like it.
2: I guess I could maybe also imagine like a system where instead of it just being one winner of the game and everyone else loses, there's like a ranking. So it's not a win or lose. You'd be like, oh, well, I'm not going to get first place, but maybe I can get second place. I just don't know what the incentive for not being the number one winner would be.
1: I I do like yeah. the idea of something like NATO Warsaw Pact happening and that affecting it, but you know the last thing we need is another new feature in this game while all these bugs still exist.
4: So that's what's gonna keep happening. Just fair warning.
1: I- I'm aware of that. I I I'm I'm well aware <laughs> of how game development works, but that doesn't I mean I can't hope.
4: That's true. That's true.
3: The OP. Posted a subsequent post of the next vote where he actually tied 65 to 65 and the coin flip, or not the coin flip, but the thing of the person who had put the most of their favor in uh, apparently cost him another point. So then he went on a GDR rampage.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm, So he he went for
2: the real diplomatic victory. Yeah. When diplomacy fails.
3: When diplomacy fails, fully upgraded GDRs.
2: So what was he spending all of his refunded diplomatic favor on then? He was keeping it still.
1: Yeah, in the last screenshot in the thread, he has like 19,000 Diplo favor.
2: And on the second vote, he spent
3: 16,000 favor trying to pass and didn't. So he just got it all back.
1: Oh, yeah, because
2: I, I guess what's happening here is because the, the cost for each subsequent vote increases. All yeah. of those civilizations with a small amount of diplomatic victory are putting in their votes real cheap, whereas the one yeah. player who's voting for themselves, each vote is more expensive they than the last. expensive
3: very quickly. Yeah, I, what, I've,
2: I've know, forgotten that the cost money. scales up. Yeah, so you have to have like, exponentially more favor than all the other players in order to win not just
4: yeah or you um you would have to like get theirs lowered yeah
2: okay so that that is harder than i initially thought it would be
3: it's why so i think i remember someone arguing that in the very late game when you're going for diplomatic victory alliances are a bad thing because you both gain the same amount of diplomatic favor from the alliance but their votes are cheaper than yours.
1: Yeah.
3: You actually want to break your alliance late game.
1: Which is kind of the opposite of what a diplomatic victory should be. Right, yeah, Yeah, that's kind of
4: a a counter-incentive.
1: But as we established...
4: Very much so.
2: As we established earlier, the way to win the diplomatic victory is to just pump as much CO2 into the atmosphere as possible and then clean it up again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need any allies
1: for that.
3: Or just get an absolute crap ton of culture and constantly go future civic every turn. 50 diplo favor every turn.
1: But, but if you do that, you'll probably win culture victory.
3: <laughs> well, it depends. if you, you can get culture while ignoring tourism,
4: somewhat. Or you could just take all the Diplo favor and the peace deals of wars and then declare yourself they winner. They only give you 20. They won't give any more than 20. And once they see that you're
3: actually stockpiling it, they won't give you any.
4: Really? Even in a peace deal?
3: Even in a peace deal.
4: Okay, in that case, you just conquer everybody except for whoever doesn't have a lot of death blow favor, and then you just win. Yeah, that the standard, the, the answer for everything basically, still applies. Kill it. Kill, they, it. T- kill the. Take out the opponent so it can't vote yeah. against. Persuasion Grim, by force.
0: The Grimvex strategy: kill all the things, including the planet now, because he loves doing CO two emissions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why doesn't it's a path using to why doesn't using nukes affect the environment at all? <laughs>
0: Wait, wait, wait. I haven't got that far. It doesn't? No, it
1: doesn't add CO2. I, guess, I mean, it is yeah, true it that would add
2: CO2, but it would it would have pretty devastating. consequences. Yeah. yeah, there should be like a separate nuclear winter thing on top of the global warming.
0: I was going to say, yeah. if the CO2 is going to be our only measure for the climate change in the game, then the nuke would have to affect that because that would definitely change the climate.
4: It, I don't, it might not have a disaster push. related to it. Like if you have enough nukes, then you start having like uh, farm productivity decreases from nuclear winter event. You could do that within the confines of the game.
3: Yeah. Well I was going to say I think it makes sense because you know, you know how currently a nuclear reactor don't add, doesn't add very many uh, doesn't add very much CO2 when it's burning a uranium to make power.
2: Can't the uh, the nuclear reactors in Gathering Storm also melt down?
1: Oh yes. What exactly is the effect of that? After 20 turns, you are in danger of it. I've not actually Uh. had it
3: happen yet. I've had, out of the, the last two games where I've deliberately not been recommissioning my reactors just to find it happen, I've had two steam leaks, one at 16, one at 26, and I've had one minor radiation leak at 46.
2: And what exactly are the effects of these things?
3: A steam leak contaminates every t- contaminates the industrial zone and every tile surrounding it for one turn and possibly pillages the okay. radiation And what exactly, leak.
2: again, I haven't seen the contamination yet, so what exactly, is that just something that you clean up with your builders, like the yeah, you clean fallout up build, in Civ 3?
3: Yeah, you clean up with a builder, it takes a builder charge to do so. It also makes the tile completely unworkable. The level 2, if you get a radiation leak, it, I believe, <laughs> completely pillages the, the industrial zone. I think it pillages surrounding stuff as well and you have the radiation for 10 turns i've yet to have a meltdown though. despite having reactors going for like 60 70 turns i'm yet to have a meltdown
2: and does uh, dropping a
4: nuke create the
2: contamination yes. it just doesn't affect the climate it no does way. yes
4: you can still deny people tiles that way then i would imagine yeah oh yeah yeah
1: when you nuke yeah. somebody yeah. the the contamination stays for 10 turns or 20 turns depending on which type of nuke you use
3: Yeah, 10 turns and radius of 1 for standard nuke, 20 turns and radius of 2 for thermal nuke.
1: Speaking of nukes, there might or might not be a bug that involves a certain civilization that is well-versed with nukes. If you launch a nuke at the civilization of Canada and you don't declare war on them first, you will nuke them and you will not be at war with them because they cannot have a surprise war declared on them. And
3: when you press the nuke button on a save, it automatically surprise wars them. That's since you can't surprise war Canada... <laughs>
2: Yeah. You? You, just, you just do a joint war. Call in today. In North America, the
0: number is 301 637 7659. That's 301 637 Polly.
4: In Europe, 44 121 288 7659. That's 44 121 288 Polly. The only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about.
2: For more information on Polycast, our
4: sibling shows or about Polycast in general, log on to the series' official website at thepolycast.net.
2: Yep.
0: So And topics.
2: topics. Yeah, we
0: got to the bottom of the topic list for once. No, wait, not for once, but, I mean...
1: I was (laughs) going to say, I don't think we've ever had a show where we didn't, where I've been in charge, but...
0: I mean, okay, we got to the bottom of the topic list, but we didn't do it so fast that it took less than an hour. This has been episode 332 of the podcast. I'm Makalua as usual, and with me, uh, Canis Albinus.
1: Let's not New Canada. They have too much maple syrup. Mm,
0: irradiated maple syrup. Wait, this isn't fallout. Uh, the me and team.
4: What a tasty treat without consequences.
0: Mega Bears fan.
2: I will now go back to destroying the world for diplomatic favor. <laughs>
0: And our guest host today, Chris D.
2: And I'm going to go
3: generate all the culture for diplomatic favor.
0: Guys are just so diplomatic. Just go kill all the things. It's recommended by one That's out right. of one Frenchman. I like doing this, <laughs> but
2: I'm doing both at the same time.
0: Killing everything, including the planet. Yes.
2: Yeah. With yeah. Right.
1: February 23rd, 2019. Civilization 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 sound clips copyright take two interactive. Copyright the polycast at thepolycast.net.